Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 18. And I left out fatigue on purpose. <laughs> I thought dealing with chronic pain is enough. So you can go and read on some Christian counseling website, biblical counseling website on chronic fatigue. I'm just going to cover chronic pain. And as you can see, it's a lengthy passage. So you think, how in the world are you going to cover this uh, in, in one sermon? Well, I'm not going to deal with every detail of the text. So I'm going to do an overview of this passage, Romans 8, 18 to 39. Physical problems, chronic pain. Let us pray and we'll hear the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we come to you again, dependent upon you, for life, breath, and everything. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we add our voices to the choir, to the choir of creation and to the choir of heaven, singing the praise of our great God and King. Please would you now open our ears, our minds, our understanding, our spiritual eyes and our hearts to receive the word of the living God. Amen. I've heard this statement, and so have you. Um, the prosperity gospel is so prevalent, and it is so widespread. We've all heard about it. You can switch on your TV and see their preachers, their televangelists. And I just saw this comment on social media a while ago. I've, I've drawn parts of the comment. Let me draw another one that the person made. It actually started out with, with uh, my sister posting something saying that if Jesus's path on earth was sown with thorns, don't think your path is going to be sown with rose petals. And the person, a person responded to that and said, no, but Jesus wants us to be healthy always, you know, the typical prosperity gospel. And so then this person said, Jesus suffered on the cross. He endured pain so that we won't have to have pain and illness and suffering on earth. Which is not true, of course, but that's what the person said. That is faulty logic. If the head has pain, will it not affect the body? Jesus is the head. So, of course, on earth, the body will also suffer. Jesus said, or Peter wrote about Jesus and said, Jesus suffered, and then Peter says, and by this he said an example so that you might follow in his steps. If you're going to follow Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus, then Jesus' footsteps, it goes to the cross first. There's no crown without a cross. So it's a cross first, and it is going to be suffering in this world. I mean, the Apostle Paul, there's the supreme example of a Christian following in the footsteps of Jesus. Did Paul suffer? Paul suffered more than any Christian in the New Testament. Paul was whipped and lashed and beaten. I mean, he got the Jewish lashing uh, of 39 lashes. He got that a number of times. He was beaten five times with rods. Three times the 39 lashes, or was it the other way around? He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. Hunger, thirst, cold, persecution of almost any and every kind. Verse 17, if you just go back one verse from our passage tonight, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If you follow Jesus, that means denying yourself, taking up your cross every day and following Christ. Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God, said Paul in Acts 14 verse 22. Now some Christians, their pain is chronic. Now for the children, maybe you don't know what the word chronic means. Chronic means continual, constant, that oh on. It just keeps on. Uh, maybe with short spaces in between where you feel a bit better, but the pain is continuous. And some of you, even here tonight, you have chronic pain and nothing helps. Anything you've tried, it doesn't help, it doesn't change your pain or make it better. So what should you do? Let me first tell you what you shouldn't do. Do not think like Christian science, Scientology. It's neither Christian, I told someone this morning, it's neither Christian nor science. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that, and I think it's right. Because Scientology or Christian science, it's like um, The Matrix. When I was in high school, there was this movie, The Matrix. So it's all in your mind. It's just, you, you're not sick. It's just in your mind. And nothing really exists. It's all in your mind. Well, really? The pain's all in your mind? Then you step on that person's toe. See if it's in the mind. <laughs> uh, so don't, don't follow that reason, uh, that kind of reasoning. Don't follow the reasoning of Buddhism. Buddhism is, you need to just have kind of some Eastern meditation and empty the mind and just come to a level where you're above and beyond the pain and it doesn't even bother you and then you do all kinds of stupid things like the Buddhist monks or even like Hindus walk on hot coals and stuff like that to show you've now risen above the pain, you don't feel pain anymore. That's not the biblical response to pain or the stiff upper lip, you know, kind of there's no pain and just get over it and move on. Or Rabbi Kushner in his popular New York best time seller book, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And the reasoning goes like this. And there are even some liberals in, in so well, Christian circles, but liberalism is not Christianity. Nevertheless, the thinking goes like this. Uh, either God is, there's pain and suffering in the world, so either God is not good or he's not all-powerful. So take your pick. And so Rabbi Krishna comes to the conclusion, well, God is good, so that must mean he's not all-powerful. He wants to help you in your pain and suffering, but he can't. That's not biblical reasoning either. Or the prosperity gospel, that's not biblical reasoning, uh, where you just need to come to some healing service and they're going to speak life over you and it's going to heal, take away all your problems. And obviously it's a lot of fake miracles because they want your money. And the more money you give, the better chance you have of getting a miracle. And that's nonsense. All right, so how should you respond? What you want to do, first of all, is you want to exclude or uh, take this out of the reckoning, psychosomatic problems, psychosomatic illness. I told you last Sunday evening, psycho, psyche, uh, means soul, and then soma in Greek means body. So body and soul... There are many illnesses caused by wrong thinking. And medical doctors say this. I gave you an example of that last Sunday. And we've got examples of this in the Bible. A number of Bible verses. Uh, Proverbs 12 verse 4 that speaks of a bad marriage. And it says it's like, it's like rottenness in this man's bones. If he's got a nagging wife or the opposite. You've got a bad husband. 
So relationship problems can cause physical illness, all the stress, all the tension. And the same with, with emotional problems like anxiety or sins like envy or jealousy, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. It can cause physical problems in the body. You've got an example in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, where it says, envy makes the bones rot. Or in depression can cause uh, physical illness also. In Proverbs 17, verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit, spirit makes the bones rot or dries up the bones. So you can, you can develop physical problems. We all know that. Uh, too much stress, you can get tension headaches. And, and, and when you get tension headaches, you can start feeling sick. Eh? You want to vomit, throw up, and so on. So the solution then, if you've excluded those things, you've seen right. If, if those things do exist, then confess them. And say, Lord, forgive me for my unforgiveness or bitterness. Forgive me for my envy or um, whatever it may be. So get those things sorted. And then if you still have pain, then you do the following. So five commands from this passage. First one, think of the coming glory. Denk aan die heerlijkheid wat kom. Let's read verse 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, Paul uses a word in verse 18 when he sa where he says, I consider. That's, that's actually the Greek word there, logizomai, that we get the English word logistics of logistic and Afrikaans. So it's to do with figures and numbers and so on. So the word logizomai, what Paul, that's an accounting term. So Paul puts suffering in one column and then he puts glory in the next column. And he weighs them up and then he counts, counts these figures together, suffering total. Whew, that's a big total. There's a lot of suffering in our lives and in this world. And then he does the same with glory. He counts, counts it all together. Whoa, this is nothing. That's a few cents. This is billions and billions and billions of dollars or pounds for Trevor. <laughs> and Paul says it doesn't, even, it doesn't even weigh up. That's my logical conclusion. The sufferings we have here, though they be big, it doesn't even compare in the least. It's not, a, it's not one grain of sand compared to the gold mine of glory that awaits. The same in 2 Corinthians. Paul does the same thing. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, For this light, momentary suffering, it's light, light as a feather. Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, to you who suffer chronically and have chronic pain, 
and those online, one minute in heaven will make up for all the suffering you endured on earth. And that's only the beginning. <laughs> so what is this glory in verse 18? What is this, the glory that is to be revealed to us? That glory is the brightness, the beauty, the majesty, the brilliance, the greatness, the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. John 17 verse 24. Father, I pray that those of you have given, those whom you have given me might be with me to see my glory. Uh, that's 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. When Jesus returns, uh, Paul says, we are going to marvel. It's like amazing. You've never seen something, not in the Great Barrier Reef, not in the Swiss Alps, not at the Grand Canyon, not in Meiringsport, not at Storms River Mouth, not in wilderness, nowhere on earth, or the night skies, the northern or the southern constellations, the northern lights. You have not seen anything like you are going to see when Jesus appears. That's the glory that will be revealed to us. Jesus, who is the, the brightness of the glory of God, you are going to be amazed. Now, actually, when Paul says the glory that's going to be revealed to us in the Greek, that word can also mean the glory that will be revealed in us. The word ace in Greek. So it's glory to be revealed in us. What does that mean? That refers to when Jesus brings us back from the dead and he gives us a glorified body. And your glorified body will be like the moon and Jesus like the sun. So you're just a reflection of Christ's glory. You reflect it back to him like a mirror. And so that's the glory. We will shine your new body. You can, you can even see this very dimly and very faintly on earth. When someone is very ill, have you seen the color of someone who's ill to death? So they're busy dying in their color. You can see that. And when someone who's so ill recovers and they become well again, it's like there's almost, it's like a sick blink on it. It shines. And so, so you're going to have, you're going to see the fullness of that when Jesus returns. Matthew 14 or 13 verse 43, it says that the righteous will shine like the sun. They will shine. Uh, Daniel 12 verse 3, the righteous will shine like the sun when Jesus raises the dead. And so that's literally what we'll see. The more we see the glory of Christ, the more you reflect that glory. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Now what creation does, creation stretching its neck. It's like creation is standing on its toes to see who are the Christians who are God's children? We want to see. Because on earth you had false Christians. You had people who looked like Christians and they apostatized. They turned their backs on Jesus. Not only backsliding, but totally hardening themselves against Christ. After at one stage looking like Christians. But now creation wants to see. Who are, who are the Christians? Standing tiptoe. And we see that in verse 19. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Why does creation want to see who are the Christians? Because their bodies are going to shine like the sun. Jesus raises the dead. Why, do, why does creation want? This is how it works. When Adam and Eve sinned, they fell into sin. What happened to creation? Creation fell 
with them, right? We, we speak of the fall, the sonderfall. So there's a curse now on the whole of creation because of, because of Adam's sin. You read that, we, I read that in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. And God said to the snake, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the animals and creatures. And, and so all of creation was cursed. And we see this in verse 20 and 21. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from bondage to corruption, decay. That's how it works in creation. That's the opposite of evolution. Evolution says everything's becoming better and, and man, these creatures developing and developing, becoming more and more intelligent. That is not science. Paul is speaking of true science. He says everything is decaying. You can see it around you. It's called entropy. Entropy. Yeah, second law of thermodynamics where everything is busy disintegrating and breaking down. You see that with humans, you become weaker and later on you walk like this. My dad is now shorter than my brother-in-law. My dad was 189, my brother-in-law is 187. And now my dad's shorter than him. He's getting older. <clears throat> so it's breaking down, says Paul here. Man was supposed to rule over creation and still we have the command. And yet man sinned and creation falls with him. Now what will happen then if... God restores human beings. If God raises us from the dead, we've been saved by the death of Jesus, those who have repented and trusted in Christ. And when God raises the righteous from the dead and they got bodies shining like the sun, what will then happen to creation? Well, if man is now lifted up from the fall, creation will be lifted up. And that's what Paul says in verse 20 and 21. That's why creation says, who are the believers we want to see? And then creation too will be restored. And we will have once again a perfect world, the wolf and the lamb, the lion and the ox, the leopard and, and the antelope, and children playing at the, the cobra's nest, and the, even these snakes that used to be poisonous. No more poison, no more killing, no more dying. And so everything is restored. You've got a new heavens and a new earth, according to Revelation 21, verse 1. That is what creation is hoping for. You see it at the end of verse 20. In hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is why creation goes... Ah, Sighing. You see that in verse 20. Um, it's subjected, verse 21. Where are we? Let me just check in the verse. Subjected to futility, not willingly. He subjected it. And verse 22. All creation has been groaning or sighing. Ah, all the suffering and natural disasters and killing and death in creation. And it's really like birth pangs or birth pains, verse 22, groaning together in the pains of childbirth. What kinds of pain is childbirth? Well, that's very intense pains. But does it stay like that? It turns to joy because the baby is born. There's a new life. That's the point. Paul is saying that these pains, it's not pains that will never end. It's pains that uh, this pain's going to turn into joy, into gladness. When there's life and the resurrection is going to be like that birth. It's like the earth gives birth. It says in Isaiah 26 verse 19, when the dead are raised, the earth gives birth. 
And these humans are raised to new life with perfect bodies. Now it's not only creation that groans. Who else groans in verse 23? We, Christians, believers, we groan with creation. Why do we groan? Oh, sometimes you sit there and, or I've, I've heard this in a prayer meeting, I think, people groaning, sighing. So in a prayer meeting, when you pray for someone whose family members are lost, this person also goes, <sighs> because they've also got family members who aren't saved. And we groan, and we groan ultimately because this world of chronic pain and suffering and sin and illness and death. And we so long for Jesus to come. Come again, Lord. Just come again and make a new world, a perfect world where there's no more suffering, where there's no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. That's what we long for. We, we, we long to be free of this, this Genesis 3 world, this fallen world. That's why we have so many hymns with a word, with this little word in it. Oh, <laughs> you can actually go, in, go to a hymn book, even an Afrikaans hymn book, just to the, to the back. Go alphabetically and look for all the hymns that start with that word. Oh, oh. Uh, the slaves in the United States in a, of America, when there were slaves in the old days, those slaves would work and you've got their songs still. Oh, Lord. You can just see these slaves just longing to be free. Sighing. God has given us the Holy Spirit inside us. And this Holy Spirit works in us to sigh also. But we see in verse 23, we sigh, we groan, not only creation, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. Now, what's the first fruits? If you were a farmer in Israel and you bring a gift to the Lord, you take it to the temple, then you bring the first crops, the first harvest, your first lot of grapes or olives or, or wheat. And you take it to Jerusalem and you give it as a gift to God. And the first fruits, Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10, is, it's like a deposit to say, I've given this to God and then God promises I'll give you a good harvest this year. So the first fruits of the Spirit means it's like a down payment. It's, it's a deposit to say the rest is coming. You've got your salvation, the salvation of your soul. Is your body saved yet? Well, you should honor God with your body, but your body is still going to die. And now this is the, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He's like a down payment. Actually, Paul mentions that in verse 10 and 11. He speaks of the Spirit who raised him from the dead. Jesus, he will raise our mortal bodies. So it's, it's the deposit to say, I'm going to save you completely, not only your soul. I will save your body one day. I will raise you from the dead and give you a new body, a perfect body. You find that in Ephesians 1 also. Uh, actually, that kind of explanation, verse 13 and 14, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's the guarantee you're going to receive the eternal inheritance of heaven. Do you sigh for this? Do you groan for this? Especially you who have chronic pain, constant pain. <sighs> so long. 
we're going to get this. We're going we're gonna to get there. The Lord will bring us there. And the Lord does that in verse 23. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. God has already adopted you into his family if you're a Christian. But now he says, I'm going to show that to everyone on the last day. The whole world will see who are my children. And I'll do this by redeeming your body, by showing you've got a special body, a body that can never get sick again, can never experience pain, it can't grow old, it can't slouch and get shorter and shrink, and it can never sin and it can never die. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42 to 44. You'll get a body like Jesus. What did Jesus' body look like after he came back from the dead? Jesus just went up into heaven. <laughs> and it says we will meet him in the air when he raises you and gives you your new body. What a body. Lazelle, will you wear glasses, did he? No more glasses, no more spec savers, no more hearing aids, <laughs> no more crutches, no more mumati, that's popcorn machine, that's I, pacemaker. <laughs> No more of that. Now, we don't see that yet, do we? We don't see that yet. <clears throat> and that's why we hope. If you saw it right here, right now, then you would stop hoping. But now you see it, or you don't see it, so you hope. And you wait for it with patience. All right, we've got the... Remember, hope in the Bible is not something uncertain. I hope it rains, I hope it doesn't rain. That's not... What hope in the Bible mean? Hope, hope means it's absolutely certain it's going to happen. There's hope. You can look forward to something. And so we wait with patience. Verse 24 and 25. In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Second command. Pray in the Spirit. So if you've got chronic pain, here's your solution. Verse 26 and 27. Please follow. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, some people think that Paul is telling us there to pray in tongues, in other languages. Uh, how do you know that's not what Paul means? For who, for who is that promise there? For some Christians or all Christians? For all Christians. When Paul spoke about the gift of languages or tongues, was that for some Christians or for all Christians? For some Christians. One has this gift, another has that gift. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30, do all speak in tongues? Or earlier in the chapter he says, to one he has given the gift of speaking to the other is given this gift to the other. So not everyone is the same gift. So this cannot mean praying in tongues. This is for every Christian. What it means is you've got chronic pain, for instance. And this, you know, tonight's sermon can go for any kind of trial and suffering. I'm applying it to chronic pain. So you've got chronic pain or some other difficulty in your life. You're so weak, you do not even know what to say in prayer. You do not even know, must I pray to be healed or must I pray to die and go to heaven? But the Spirit knows. He knows what to pray for. And so the Holy Spirit prays inside of you. 
And now you've got a third one who groans. Creation groans, we groan, and now the Spirit groans. He sighs. And He groans inside of you. And God understands these sighings, these groanings of the Spirit. And He understands. He knows your heart. God knows the hearts of all men. We know that from Psalm 139 and 1 Kings 8 verse 39. So God knows what's inside and, and what you can't even express in words. You're suffering so much. And then the Holy Spirit prays. And it says in verse 27, He prays according to the will of God. Does God answer prayers like that? Yes. <clears throat> so any prayer prayed according to God's will, 1 John 5 verse 14 and 15, God answers it favorably. He says, yes. So the Spirit prays inside of you and He knows what to pray for. He knows, should He pray for you to get healed? And then He prays that. He knows, should He pray inside of you, that you would understand God's grace is enough for you to go through this trial and trust God. He knows, should He pray for you to, go, to come safely through the valley of the shadow of death and the shepherd will be with you. And so He prays that. And your and my responsibility is to say, thank you. Thank you. That you've given me the grace and these, this prayer, prayer has been answered. Thank you for the answer. And then you rest in that. And that will help you to endure your suffering patiently. And to endure your suffering with joy. Is there a place for everyone to sit? Alright, have a seat there. Number three. Third command, believe God's promises. Verse 28 to 30, let us read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who have been called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified... He also glorified. There was a lady in our church, she's still alive, but she's moved now to the Western Cape, and she's turning 90 in September. But this lady, she had a number of illnesses, and, and she's got a very bad form of arthritis and suffering pain constantly. And she was very negative at first, all this pain and suffering. And I don't know what happened, but suddenly it changed. And her, her, her response to her pain changed to one of thanksgiving. Thankfulness, 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 thankfulness. Would you like to be like that in your pain? Well, you can, you can have the same if you believe verse 28. God works all things together for good. How does God do that? Does God work things in your life for the better and for good? Because of what you feel. Do you always feel that way? No. Sometimes you feel, it feels like the Lord has left me. It feels like everything's going wrong. It feels like God has forgotten me. How does verse 28 start? Can someone help me? We know. It doesn't say, and we feel. Because you don't always feel that. We know this. In our suffering, we know and we go on what we know. We know God is faithful. 
we know God cannot lie and he fulfills his promises and therefore in these sufferings I will trust. How does God work these things together for good? By doing verse 26 and 27. It's the Holy Spirit who prays for you. And it's in answer to those prayers. It's through prayer that God works these things together for good. Now, is verse 28 a promise for everyone? Look at the verse. For who is that promise? Who is the promise for? Only for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. How do you know you love God? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Are you obedient to Christ? I don't mean you're perfectly obedient. Yes, we sin, but we go back remorsefully. We confess our sins and we continue in obedience. Are you obedient to Jesus? That will show. Has God called you according to his purpose? What's his purpose for you? It's verse 29. To make you like his son, Jesus. Has God called you to say, I want you to follow me, become like Jesus. I've called you, my purpose is that you will praise me. He has adopted us, he's predestined us for adoption as sons. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 5 and verse 6 says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, that you would honor him. And maybe, just maybe, some of you here tonight, God will call you and save you through suffering. Chronic pain. Or maybe that's what he did in your case. Maybe that's how God saved you. You have chronic pain. Job says God speaks to us in two ways. God opens our ear to hear. Job 33 verse 14 and verse 19, he tells you what, of, what one of the two ways is. Through pain. God speaks to you. Listen! Because when everything is prosperous and the sun is shining and there are flowers in springtime and your life is just a ball, sometimes you don't hear. And sometimes God has to bring pain in your life to make you hear. And unfortunately, some unbelievers miss this. I know of a man who endured lots and lots of pain, busy dying of cancer. And when a Christian came to share the gospel with him, he didn't like it. And when a Christian said to his wife, you know, God sometimes brings these things in our lives to draw us closer to us. He was very offended when he heard that. They don't get the message. He does not see God's heart for him. God loves you. God loves you. God brings these things to draw us, to draw our attention to Him, to say, listen, I'm the Savior. I love you, O sinner. Where the believer, the Christian, we have the ability to look beyond, to look past the pain. And yes, we endure the pain, but we see, oh, God is doing verse 29 through this pain. He wants to make me like His Son. He wants to make me like Jesus through the suffering. It is good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. John Piper says there are things to be seen in the Word of God that can only be seen through the lens of tears. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your commandments. That's Psalm 119 verse 67 and 71. You can mark that down. 
So God does that through pain. Does that mean pain is a good thing? Is pain inherently good? Pain is not a good thing. Paul is not saying pain is good. Paul is saying God can work it together for good. And he will for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, so it's like um, sodium and chloride. Sodium, can that kill you? Peter, you must help us. Can sodium kill you? Can chloride kill you? Can it harm you? Okay. If you mix them, then you've got table salt. High blood pressure. <laughs> okay. So, so, so God can take things like that. This is bad. This is bad. God can mix them and make something good. He can work it together for good. So what is the good? God works all things together for good. Verse 28. What's the good? It's verse 29. He makes you like Jesus. He wants to make you like his son. That's what he's destined you for. That's why God chose you. He predestined you. Before he made the world, God chose you. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Before he made the world, God, God decided he's going to adopt you into his family. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Verse 4 and verse 5. You're going to read that. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. God has chosen you. Why? God chose you so that you can be holy, to sanctify you. 1 Peter 1 verse 1 and 2. God has elected you according to his foreknowledge through sanctification of the Spirit for sprinkling with his blood, the blood of Christ. So if that is God's purpose, his grand purpose for your life, what should be what should your purpose be when you suffer pain? Your greatest purpose should not be to get rid of the pain. Your greatest purpose should not be to get a new painkiller that can deal with this pain. It's not wrong for you to have a painkiller. It's not sinful. But that can't be your greatest purpose. What was Jesus' greatest purpose when he had pain? To honor his father and to accomplish the task given him by God. To die for sinners and to save us so that God may be glorified in all things. Did Jesus have the opportunity to take a painkiller? Yes. They wanted to give him myrrh mixed with aloe. They wanted to give that painkiller to him so his muscles aren't tense so they could drive the nails in. But he didn't want to take it. Why not? Because he wanted to endure the full suffering and pain for our sins. It does not mean it's wrong to take a painkiller. But that's not your great purpose. To try and get rid of this pain. The great purpose is to honor God with or without pain. How can you be like Jesus? If it says the great purpose to be like Jesus. How can you be like Jesus in your pain? What, what would Jesus do if he had pain? What did he do when he had pain on the cross? He ministered to others. He saved a thief on the cross. He helped his widowed mother so that someone will take care of her when he's gone. He prayed for those who persecuted him, that the Father would forgive them. So if we're going to be like Jesus, then it would mean even in my pain, I can minister to others. Maybe because of my pain, I can minister to others because I now understand what they go through and I can still pray for others and so on and so forth. So that's how we become like Jesus. There was a man in our church, and a few of you, let me check quickly. Yes, a very few of you knew him. This man had tremendous pain. It was bone on bone with his hip. 
Remember Dunet, when he would come and he would hold on to these in, toward the end of his life. But he would be here every Sunday morning. He wanted to be with the saints and he would still minister. He would still serve. He would still pray in his pain. That's what I mean. Being like Jesus in our pain. And that's how you become like your, or that's how, how your life starts looking like your oldest brother. Jesus is the oldest brother. It says in verse 29 that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, Hebrews 2 also calls Jesus, it speaks of him as the firstborn. So he's got the rights to everything. He inherits everything. So if Jesus inherits everything, if Jesus is your brother, that implies two things. Number one, verse 17, you are a co-heir with Christ, a fellow heir. So Jesus inherits the kingdom. Do you inherit it too? Yes, he shares it all with you. And the second thing it implies, if Jesus is our older brother or the oldest brother, uh, then even in your pain, he understands. If he's the firstborn among many and he's your brother, was Jesus on earth? Did Jesus have pain? Does Jesus understand your pain? Hebrews 2 verse 17 and 18. He shed in flesh and blood just like we do and therefore he can have sympathy with us. He sympathizes with us in our pain and suffering. Okay, now, Jesus is your older brother. And all of that that I just mentioned, how do you know he's your older brother? I mean, I mean you, you, individually, personally. How do you know he's your older brother? How do you know, verse 28, you've been called by God? How do you know, verse 29, you have been chosen by God? You've been predestined. Some Christians struggle with that, you know. How do I know God has chosen me? All this business about election, eight for kisser. How do I know? Well, how do you know? Verse 30 gives the answer. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Are you called by God? Has God called your name and said, follow me? Next one. Those whom he called, he also justified. How do you become justified? How do you become right in God's sight? A right relationship with God? Well, through faith in Jesus, Romans 5. So have you believed in Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ? If that's true of you, then you've been chosen, eternity past, and end of verse 30, then you will be glorified, eternity future. So start in the middle. Don't start in the past because you don't live there. Don't go to the future because you're not there yet. Start where you are now. Have you been called? Have you believed in Christ? Then you know the rest is true of you. Wow, Jesus is your righteousness. <laughs> I think that should help you in your pain to remember he's loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Number four. Fourth command, realize that God is for you. Verse 31 to 34, let's read. What then shall we th say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You remember when, when Jacob went through that bad experience where the brothers sold Joseph to Egypt and Jacob didn't know. He thought his, his son is dead. And so he's all worried. And 
This goes on for years and years, 22 years to be exact. But then at a stage close to the end of the 22 years, before he meets Joseph face to face, Jacob says, oh no, everything is going against me now. Now you want to take Benjamin and Simeon is in prison and Joseph is dead. Everything is turning against me. Was that true? Was that true? Everything was busy working out for him. He just didn't see it. Because he, there was pieces of the puzzle that were missing in his view. God saw it all. <laughs> Sometimes it feels to you, God is against me. I'm going through all this pain, through this trial, chronic pain. It's like God has forgotten about me. What does verse 31 say? What does it say? God is for us. Who can be against us? God will work it together for good. He's busy doing it. Like Joseph said. So even if your enemies mean it for evil against you, or even if the circumstances seems everything is against me, and your enemies might mean that to break you down, God will use that for you. They don't even know they're working for you. But God is working it together for good for his people. Just think of it logically. As Paul does. Will God sent his son Jesus. They put nails through his hands and feet. They put a spear at his side. They put thorns on his head. They, they already lashed him on his back and across his calves and across his body. They've punched him in the face. They've slapped him in the face. He's hanging on a cross for sinners like us to take the punishment we, we deserve. Will God allow that to happen to his son Jesus and let him become a curse for us? Galatians 3.13 And then God won't help you through your pain. I will give Jesus for you to save you, but I'm not going to help you in your suffering. <laughs> I'm not going to let you get to heaven. If God gives you the greatest thing, then he'll give you the lesser things. Then he will help you to endure the pain and suffering. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now maybe, just maybe, your conscience is bothering you. And your conscience says to you, you're going through this trial. You're going through this suffering. You know what that means? That means you're not a Christian. God will never allow that to happen to his children. And then the devil comes and he accuses you. You're a Christian? So, so that's what God does to his children. I think you better think, you better second guess yourself. That doesn't happen to Christians. Christians, health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> and then you maybe you've got friends like Job's friends. Are you sure you're saved? <laughs> you're going through that. Bad influences, false teaching, TBN, you switch it on and it says... The reason you didn't get healed is you don't have enough faith. So what should you do if all of those accusations come? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. Now, in your pain, in your suffering. Verse 1 of Romans 8. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you tell that to your friends, you tell that to TBN, you tell that to the devil, and you tell that to your conscience. This suffering is proof I belong to God. <laughs> I'm in this fallen world. And so through all of this, what is Jesus praying for you? What is he praying for? He's praying that through all this pain you're going through, you will not give up. And you will not deny his name. That you will be saved right to the end. Hebrews 7 verse 25, he's able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to intercede for us. To pray for us. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Till the day of Christ Jesus. Finally, number five, rest in God's love. Verse 35 to 39, please follow. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lady who is going or has gone through many, 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 many trials and sufferings in her life said to me, why is God punishing me like this? And that's a question you ask when you go through pain. But is that the right question? Why is God punishing me? Does God love her less than he did before she had pain? What does the verse 35 say? Does God love her less now that she has pain? Who shall separate us from the love? of Christ. That pain did not separate her from the love of Christ. He loves her as much as he did before. He loves you even if you go to the doctor and you go to another doctor and you go to another doctor and the doctor cannot find out why you have pain. Jesus loves you still. Still the same. Actually, I want to say to you, I think your pain draws Jesus even closer to you. Because he's a high priest that sympathizes with our weakness. He sees your pain. It's like the woman. Remember the woman when her son died? It was her only son in Luke 7. And here's this widow and it's the funeral. And Jesus' heart is drawn to her. He feels compassion. He feels sorry for her. And he helps her. So his heart is drawn to you in your pain. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Isaiah 63 verse 7. In all your sufferings, he feels your pain. So he really has sympathy. Death itself cannot separate you. Your pain can't separate you from the love of Christ. Death will not separate you. Actually, what death will do, death will just take you to him. <laughs> and you'll experience his love all the more. Verse 36, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So even if you are slaughtered like a sheep, then you go to Jesus. And you bask in the sunshine of his love. And in Christ, in Christ, you and I, through the pain, you will conquer Satan. You will be more than a conqueror over the devil, over sin, 
over sickness, over pain, over death itself. Verse 37, in all these things, these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors, verse 37. There are all these promises in Revelation. Remember the seven churches? And so everyone gets a, a promise, a reward. If you conquer, and if you conquer, and you will, if you're, if you're a child of Christ. So you will eat of the tree of life. You will receive the crown of life. You will receive the hidden manna and a white stone with a name that no one knows except you. And you will rule over the nations with a rod of iron. You'll receive the morning star. You'll receive white clothes. Your name will never be wiped out of the book of life. You will be a pillar in the house of God. Your name will be written in God's house. And the name of God will be written on you. And you will sit on a throne and reign with Christ. And that's all from Revelation 2 and 3. Go and find it. More than a conqueror. That goes against what we often think. Oh, he lost the battle against cancer. Did he? If he's a Christian, doesn't verse 37 say we more than conquerors? Will Christ not raise you from the dead? Will cancer not lose the battle? Will death not lose the battle? Jesus has already conquered. He's sealed it. What can separate you from Christ's love? Migraines? Arthritis? Pain of cancer, wear and tear, knees, back, neck, hips, that kind of pain. Lupus, fibromyalgia, which, by the way, um, is, they don't know what causes that. And medically, I read in a medical textbook that it's not a disease in the classic sense of the word, but the people experience real pain and real fatigue. Maybe gout. Rulf, you think gout can separate you from the love of Christ? What about the devil? Can he separate you? What about death itself? What does verse 38 and 39 say? You can go and read it all. He mentions lots of things and he ends with nothing in all of creation. So you've only got two categories, only two. You've got the creator. Will he leave his children? He promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Then you've got the creation. Can anything in creation separate you from Christ's love? No. Paul says so. It's certain. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love. The love of God for you is more steadfast than the mountains. Isaiah 54 verse 10 tells us. You know Psalm 136? His love endures forever. 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 Should I say it 22 times? <laughs> That's in the psalm. It just keeps on. His love endures forever. He will not allow chronic pain to remove you from His love or to steal your salvation from you or to pluck you from His hand. Nothing in all creation will separate you from His love. And it says in verse 39, in Christ Jesus. You are safe in the hands of Jesus. You are safe in the hands of Jesus. And what He will do, and I close with this, he will bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. He will save you from all evil. In 2 Timothy, you can go and read that 4 verse 18. It'll be like a man. I just 
sent a message to my friend uh, to say, please can you just tell me the story again? This is how it goes. So he was a pastor in KwaZulu-Natal. And there was a man who was not a member of his church, but he was, a, he was friends with this guy. This guy was a Christian, but he couldn't come to church. He had too much pain. He was shot in his neck. He was a policeman. And then complications, operations, operations, more operations, and every operation just made the problem worse and worse and worse till he had so much pain he could not even have a sheet on his body when he lies in the bed, when he lies in bed. So they built an aluminium frame that they put on the bed and the blankets over the frame. And this guy just held on to the promises of God. And he died. And he's in glory. And you know what you're going to find out, like that man found out, I believe, when you die, go to heaven, you're going to find out that your pain, it was God's medicine to keep you close to Jesus. Our Father, I especially pray tonight for brothers and sisters who do experience chronic pain, for great encouragement from your word tonight, <coughs> but also pray that, that when the pain comes again, they will not forget these promises and these commands. And not only for those experiencing pain in their bodies, even for those experiencing emotional and physical pain, or uh, spiritual pain, that you would encourage them too, Lord. Thank you that you are our God, our Saviour, and our Shepherd. Amen.